You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, uh, we're in part one of our three-part series on relationships. We're talking about relationship goals. Uh, And we finished the first five weeks of the year. We've been really focusing on on personal transformation. uh, And and that's going to relate to what we're going to dive into. But I want to take it broader today because, you know, what Jesus does in our life starts personally. What Jesus, you know, the cross is is vertical. It's, It's God putting us right with himself of God reconciling us to him, bringing forgiveness and redemption. But, but the cross is also horizontal. God cares about our relationships. God cares about uh, the, the people in our lives. He cares about the people that we in, interact with every day. And uh, you know, I'm gonna focus in next week on, on our marriages and, and especially in that area. And that's a message not just for those who are married, but for those principles will apply to all of us in every area. But today I wanna really focus on this, this building blocks of relationships and how you can level up uh, the relationships in your life. So uh, today, uh, the, I've got five points for you. And uh, if you're taking notes, the first one's very simple, but it's to start this off, is that relationships matter. Relationships matter to God. Relationships are important. And your relationships matter at work, in your job, in your, in your, in your family. Uh, the, the good news of Jesus is meant to not only provide for us a home in heaven, but a family in his kingdom. God provides for us relationship and relationship matters. I've been in the one-year Bible study through this year. And uh, if, you, if you're doing the one-year Bible too, you may have noticed in the book of Genesis that families have been messed up from the beginning. Like really, like from the very beginning, families have been messed up. And if you just want to be encouraged about your own family, uh, just read the book of Genesis because there were some marriage issues and there were some uh, rivalries and there was some conflict and there were some poor choices along the way. And, uh, and God in the midst of relational brokenness brought about his, his good plan. And if you look in the very beginning, God created everything good. And and Genesis 1 and 2 highlights that God would form the heavens and the earth and God would say of each thing that he would make and form that it was good. But the first thing that God said and only thing that God said wasn't good is when after creating man, after creating Adam, God looked at him and God said, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. And and of course, he would bring his helpmate. He would bring Eve and God would create the the first thing that God instituted. The first thing that God made in in, in mankind was not a government. It wasn't any other institution. It wasn't even a religion. God created a family. God created a marriage. God created a relationship uh, that, that he himself would be glorified in. And God said it was not good. And if anybody knows men, uh, it's not good that men are alone. Come on, we need some help. But it's true for everybody. It's not good that we're alone. In fact, the Bible tells us, in fact, the story of the Bible, the Bible has two major subjects. There's a lot of things the Bible has to talk about. It talks about where we came from and it talks about where we're going. Um, I get questions all the time. Pastor, is it the last days because there's a Chinese spy balloon and that's gotta be a sign of something? Don't worry, there you have all your info off of TikTok. So I got to stop, I'm going to get in trouble. Um, but, but the Bible, the main subject of the Bible is actually Jesus. 
Jesus is the point. Jesus is the main subject. He is the theme. He is the the heartbeat of what God's word is all about. But it also has a secondary subject, and that is our relationship to God and and why we are broken because of sin. And people say now, you know, marriage is a thing of the past, and marriages are broken. The whole idea of marriage is broken. But, But the truth is, it's not that marriage has ever been broken. It's that people are broken. And people bring brokenness into relationships, and that's true not only of marriage, but family relationships. Uh, I don't know any of us that come from a perfect family. I know sometimes we portray and and Instagram a perfect family, but but none of us come from a perfect family. None of us have perfect families, because guess what? There's imperfect people in them. There's no such thing as a perfect church, because there's imperfect people. There's actually only one perfect person, and that's Jesus. And all of our relationships and all of the inadequacies in relationships are meant to point us to a perfect relationship that God himself only can fulfill. We have imperfect families, imperfect parents. I'm an imperfect dad. But it's meant to point us, we look at a perfect father in heaven who's always good and who's always faithful and he gave us Jesus. The Bible says a lot about relationships. Psalm 68 verse 6 says this, God sets the solitary in families. God sets the solitary in families. And of course, that's true of our natural family. But as I said, sometimes our families look like an episode of the Jerry Jerry Springer show. I can't even say it anymore. Jerry Springer show. Some of you don't know what that is. Good. (laughs) And we wonder why we look at our family, we see brokenness. But here's the truth. God has also called his church to be a family. So none of us should be alone. God's redeemed us. I met some uh, believers there from uh, out of state this week. I had coffee with them and, and it was amazing. Total strangers. We had this immediate connection and immediate uh, bond because of what Jesus has done in both of our lives. And you're a part of a family. In Christ, we're a part of a family. In fact, this family comes from God. And here's what Ephesians 2 says about that. Verse 19, it says, you were Gentiles. That is, they were, we were outside of the, the, the Israelite covenant with God, the Old Testament. He says, your Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but instead you're citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. That's a good news, church. We, we, we've got a family that you're a part of. That's what the church is to be. God's people coming together. God's people worshiping together. God's people sharpening and challenging one another. Our relationships. God has designed relationships to do a couple things. He's designed our relationships to challenge us. Not in a bad way, but in a necessary way. Because without challenge, there's no growth. Bible actually says iron sharpens one another. As, 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 one, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And so God places us in relationships to sharpen one another. If you've ever sharpened a knife or a tool, you know that you can only sharpen something by contact, by, by friction, <laughs> by a process of smoothing out some things. And so, you know, my wife and I are uh, coming up on 16 years of marriage this year. And uh, in, in, in that amount of time, we still challenge each other. We still grow each other. We still, I mean, even this, this week, we had conversations where, where we were able to be honest about things. And sometimes as a husband, I step in it. Any other, anybody else? Y- y'all are way more holy than me. You don't ever step in it. You don't ever say something you shouldn't or do so. So, so. so it's important that we look at the relationships in our life as something that brings great value and something that grows us. Number two, 
Number two is the relationships. Not all relationships are created equal and we need to know which relationships matter most. Can we put number two on the screen? That, that, that relationships, there's some relationships that matter most. And so every relationship can be important. Every relationship can bring something to the table, something to my life. But there's some relationships that require a greater level of attention, a greater level of care, and a greater level of investment. If you were to walk away from your marriage because you've run out of love, it's like selling your car today because it ran out of gas. When the tank is empty, you don't sell the car, you fill it back up. And in all of our relationships, we need to identify what relationships matter most. I'm gonna tell you how to do that next week, by the way. But, but, but I want you to see this because relationships are important. Ecclesiastes chapter four says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. In other words, you can accomplish more together. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when they fall. For he has no one to help him. And I know even as I talk about some of this, there's gonna be a tendency in some of us and we've all felt this at times where we feel like, well, I am alone. I'm all by myself. Everybody's left, nobody cares. Nobody, even the people in my life, they don't notice, they don't recognize. Can I just say that? That sometimes we think that and it's absolutely false. And sometimes it can be, there can be some truth to it. Maybe people are self-centered in our life and, and they're not making the investment they should make in us. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. Jesus said, don't think I'm alone because my father's with me. I'm never alone. And you're never alone because God's with you. But then I want to also challenge you to avail yourself of the people that God has placed in your life because you don't have to go through life alone. In fact, that's what the church does. The church is meant to be a place where we lift one another when we fall. It's not, a, it's not a club for perfect people. It's a group of people that have been redeemed by God that lift each other. If one falls, one will lift up his companion. That's why the enemy fights overtime to divide and conquer. A house divided cannot stand. That's true on a one-on-one -on -one level. That's true in our marriages. That's true in our families. That's true in our churches. That's true in our nation. We live in probably one of the most divided times in our, history, in our nation's history. Not the most, certainly, but one of them. Because division is where the enemy knows if he can divide you, he can conquer you. And, and, and the enemy comes to divide us from the relationships that matter most and that are, that are pushing us forward. You know, some relationships push you forward and some hold you back. Wisdom is to know what relationships are the most important. Verse 12 says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord will not be easily or quickly broken. So, so God's created us with the, the desire to be, every one of us has a desire on some level to be needed and known. We're not meant to go through life alone. And God's provided a family for us. He's provided a relationship. And all of that, as I said, points us to our greatest relationship of all. And I think that's where we start. The relationship that has to matter most in my life has to be my relationship with Jesus. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 1, 7, to all those, or 1, 6, uh, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. This is a salutation, an opening to his letter to the Romans. And he starts with a statement, I'm writing to you two things, who are called and you belong. Every one of us is called by God. Every one of us belongs. We belong to Jesus. We belong to the presence of God. We belong to God's purpose 
Most people live their lives never realizing that they've been invited to the Father's table and they belong. That's what we're here to tell people, that you belong. God created you. You're not an accident. You're not just a mistake of biology. You were created by heaven, for heaven, with the purpose of heaven. Your identity comes from God and your life will never make sense until you find the one who loves you and created you to know him. You belong. You belong to Jesus. And then from there, our most important relationship, we've got to begin to recognize what are the other relationships in my life that matter most. Again, every relationship can have value, but some relationships require a greater investment and personally should have a greater priority. So in my life, it's easy, and I'll just speak to the men for a second because it's easier. It's true for all of us, but I think especially for the guys, it's really easy to think I'm doing great because I'm successful in work or in business, but at the same time, I don't want to be successful in that world at the cost of my family. I work with guys over the years who are, who are multimillionaires, incredibly successful in every area, except they've sacrificed their family on the altar of their business. And you think that wouldn't be true in the church world? It actually is. I learned a long time ago from some pastors that are a lot smarter than me that my number one job as a pastor isn't to love the church the most, it's to love my wife more. You want a pastor who loves his wife more than the church, trust me. And so, so I want to prioritize the relationships in my life that matter most. So there's going to be some times that I don't do something that maybe I want to invest my, I'm working on a project or I'm thinking, man, this needs my attention. But maybe the thing that needs my attention the most is to go play Fortnite with my two boys. Well, that just doesn't sound spiritual. Well, I'm making a connection. Okay. And I'm teaching them how I used to dominate a GoldenEye in N64. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. You were created for relationships. Do you know Jesus had the crowds, the multitudes, but he also had a smaller group? He had 70. 70 disciples that he would send out. And then within that 70, he had 12. He had 12 that were his closest associates. But even there, there was still a smaller group. There were three, Peter, James, and John, that when Jesus was in his most critical moments, the moments like where he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and was revealed in his glory, not everybody got to see that. And only a a few people. And see, there's some times in our life we're trying to, and I think it's a a, a result of the way our culture has created. And and listen, I love social media in some areas. It helps us to communicate. It's an incredible tool. But it's also artificial intimacy. And and so, so, so I think I've got friends because I got 3,000 people who are friends on Facebook. And some of you joined Facebook and all your kids left it. Okay. But you've got, so, so that's, that's fine, but a friend is somebody that really knows you. That sees the good, the bad, the ugly. That has to, you know, that has to deal with that stuff. That it's there to help you, that's there to lift you, that's there to walk with you through life. Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane his greatest test before the cross. And he only brought Peter, James, and John, those that were closest. You know, there's some people that you've got to recognize who should be my three, who should be my close, who should be the ones that influence my heart the most. I think this is hard for people, especially early in their walk with God, because we, 
We, we know as, as a Christian, I'm supposed to, and I'm gonna talk about this in a moment, we're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to love people that disagree with us. Did you know that? That's gonna be a shocker for somebody in the room. You're supposed to love people that disagree with you. Jesus didn't say, love your friends. He said, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. So, so, so we don't respond like the world. We respond with the love of Christ. That's how we're supposed to love everybody. And, and I'm just gonna tell you, there's gonna be people, the reason why relationships are hard is because people aren't like you. If everybody would do what I always wanted, the way I wanted it, life would be so much easier. None of you ever feel that way? But people are messy, relationships are messy, and they take work. But here's the truth, that some relationships I'm meant to pour into, but they're not meant to direct my life. The Bible uses an agricultural term. It says, be careful who you're yoked to. Don't be unequally yoked in your closest relationships. What's a yoke? A yoke isn't describing egg yoke. It's a yoke of an oxen. It would be a beam that would cross the shoulders of two animals of labor and they would, it would be what connected them and joined them, but it was also used to train. And a weaker, immature oxen could be pulled by an older, stronger oxen. That was how they would train them. But in our relationships, the things we're yoked to are the things that set the course of our life. And this is a tough one because sometimes we, we're gonna love some people and we're gonna love to hang around some people, but sometimes those people aren't always going the same direction we are. Are, are, are you with me? And we've gotta be careful how those things influence our heart. So, so we think that being a Christian means peace at all costs. And what if, let me give you an example. Book of Genesis, Joseph shows up to his brothers. Those that are relationally the closest in his family. And he comes to those guys and they all at least have the same dad. Sorry, Joseph. Okay, so Joseph comes to him and he says, hey guys, I, I got some news for you. Um, I had a dream last night. I'm excited to share, this is a dream from God. I, I really think it's a dream from God. And guess what? I'm gonna be somebody one day. And his brothers rejoice with him and celebrate his passion and success. No, 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 you know what happens. They attack him. They get angry at him and angry and angry and angry until finally they say, let's kill the guy. And one of the brothers happens to talk them out of murder. <laughs> Again, you think your family's got issues and maybe it's got issues like that, but I'm just telling you, Joseph gets thrown in a pit and sold into slavery and they call him the dreamer. They mock his dream. Why? Because they're not going the same direction. Saul attacks David out of jealousy and out of spite. There's some people that you just gotta be careful not to be yoked to. Okay. So, so there's a parable Jesus told, Matthew 12, or not Matthew 12, it's somewhere in here. Let me give you this verse, Amos 3.3. 3. It says, can two walk together unless they're agreed? So, so for, for my in our marriage, for us to be going the same direction, we've got to decide what is important to us, what really matters. And we've got to agree on the direction. Now, there's times where we're going to disagree on things. I'm going to talk about communication. I'm going to spend a whole week on communication because I do a whole lot of premarital counseling and I do a whole lot of postmarital counseling too. And I'm going to give you a free counseling session in two weeks. No. But I'm just telling you that... that that we've got to recognize 
Who are we yoked to? Who are we connected with? And, and number three is a change in your relationships. And here's, here's where I know some of you aren't gonna like this. I'm just gonna brace you for it. But changing your relationships actually doesn't start with those people. It starts with you. Changing your relationships starts with you. I know, have you ever listened to a sermon or read the Bible and gone, I know who needs to hear this right now. Some of you are doing this right now. Like, I I wish they were here to hear this because then he would straighten them out. Anyway. And the Bible then becomes binoculars for somebody else. For us to inspect their life instead of a mirror to allow God to change us. And real change in our relationships actually doesn't start with them. I love it when it starts with them, but real change often has to start with me. In fact, God starts in us before things often begin to change around us. I said this one time in church, this is years ago. I, I, I said, if you start praying for your spouse to change, here's what God may do. I'm just gonna warn you. He may start with you. And I said that, and I literally had somebody get up and walk out from the front row. It was not my wife, by the way. <laughs> Lady got up, walked out, and she was, she was cousins with my youth pastor. And I asked, I asked my youth pastor, I said, hey, do you know what, what that was about? Because she, she walked out and never came back. And I said, hey, what, what was that about? And he said, well, uh, she really feels strongly that her husband needs a change and she does not. <laughs> anyway, okay, I'll move on. Um, changing a relationship starts with you. There's a parable, this is, this is the verse, Luke 15. Jesus told this parable and it's, it's used to illustrate, Jesus uses this to illustrate the heart of God to those that are lost. Story of the prodigal. And I'm just going to summarize it for time, but, but here's what happens. The Bible, in this passage, it says that there was a certain man who had two sons. And one of the sons comes to the father one day and says, um, hey, dad, I want what's owed to me. I want my inheritance. Now, last time I checked, you usually get your inheritance after somebody dies. The father would die, leave the inheritance to the next generation. But this son says, I don't want to wait for it. In fact, I value your stuff more than you. I want what's owed to me. And the father gives him his inheritance. And the son is called the prodigal because the Bible says that he goes off to a far country and he goes for a trip to Vegas, baby. My hometown. And he goes to Vegas and he spends everything he's got on prodigal living. In other words, he lives for himself. He wastes it all. He spends everything that his father spent a lifetime to build up and to earn. And the son so devalued it that he threw it all away on himself, and just like sin, sin promises, but doesn't fill. It, it gives temporary pleasure, but long-term pain. It always has a cost, and this prodigal son now has run through, because there's a point at which you're no longer as cute as you used to be. You're no longer as young as you used to be. And you used to be able to outrun those issues, but now it's catching up with you. And he's run out of everything he's got and he's now attached himself as the guy who feeds the pigs, which for a Jewish young man is the most offensive thing you can do. And he's taking care of the pigs. And this son does something that I think is so important. He comes to his senses. It's a beautiful picture of repentance. He says to himself, I'm, I'm in the pig pen. I'm in the filth. I'm in, I'm, I've hit rock bottom. I can't, things can't get any worse. He's jealous of what the pigs are eating. And he starts to think to himself, my dad's house, like my dad's servants eat far better than I'm living right now. 
And he says, I'm gonna go back to my dad and I'm gonna apologize and I'm gonna make a deal with him. I will no longer be your son if I can just be your employee. I'll work for you. You ever make a deal with God? Like, you, like God, I know I messed up, but now I'm gonna work 15 times harder. And the son runs, he sees, the, he sees the father in the distance, the father sees him, and the father's never, st- I believe the father never stopped looking for him. He knew his son was far, but he never lost sight of, of, the, of what his son could, that he could be coming home at any moment. And his son comes to him, and he goes through his whole spiel. He says, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. I don't deserve it. I, and, and the father's not even addressing it. The father turns to his servants. He says, hey, go get the fatted calf. This is my second reason I love this story. Because he says, we're going to have a barbecue for my son. Go get the fatted calf, and I want you to get the best robe and the best ring and new sandals on his feet. And this son is trying to make a deal because the son didn't understand the grace of the father. He thought, I've got to earn my way back into his good graces. I've got to deserve it. I've got to work for it. And listen, you can't pray enough. You can't read enough. You can't show up enough to deserve the grace of God that he has given you freely the moment you step into the room because the father's arms are wide open and he reaches around him. He embraces his son who wasted everything he was ever given. And yet the father says, you're back home. You're with me and you get everything that you don't deserve is now yours. And he restores his son as if he had never left. I love the heart of the father. There was another son. He was the religious one. This other son comes to the father and says, um, hey dad, I know you're, you're celebrating this good-for-nothing brother of mine, but I got some problems with this because you never gave me a young goat when I was going to have a party with my friends. I mean, teens had very different interests back then. <laughs> he said, you never gave me anything. And the father looks at him and says, you don't understand Everything I have is yours already. Why are you worried about your brother? I wonder how many of our relationships are, are, are filled with self-seeking and envy and jealousy because we don't know everything that is the father's is ours already. And we don't have to compete with somebody else because everything he wants us to have is already ours by inheritance in Jesus. And we don't have to argue. We don't have to strive. We don't have to compete. He's already made it available. Which one of them are we in our relationships? Do we, re, do we reflect the heart of the Father to those around us? The heart of the Father lifts and restores. Do you know what this other son did? He criticized and he critiqued and he tore apart and he distanced himself from his no good brother. Or are we like those like the prodigal that just take what we've been given and we, we don't value those around us like he didn't value his father. And he wasted all that he had. Why? Because he didn't value what he had. Change starts with us. I think it happens when we begin to reflect the heart of the father to those around us. Number four is strong relationships. Last two points. Strong relationships are built with the commitment to walk in love. What stands out with the father in this story above everything else is his heart for the lost son. And he demonstrates a commitment. He demonstrates a commitment. I saw, years ago, I was counseling a couple and uh, 
they were, they come to me and, and they wanted to work through their issues. And, and the, I asked them, I said, oh, I, I didn't, did you guys get married? And, and they, he said, well, yeah, I think we're married. I think we're married. And then I asked her, I said, well, do you think you're married? She says, no, I don't think we're married. I said, well, let, before we even talk about the issues, let's figure that one out. Because usually I don't think anybody, like, I know, having been from Vegas, I, I, I'm sure that can happen. <laughs> but I asked him, and he says, well, we had this, like, commitment ceremony. And I said, well, do you think you're married? I asked her, and she said, well, I don't think so. I said, well, whatever that commitment ceremony was, usually two people agree that you're married. And our world has defined commitment in a very different way than the way, and the world has defined love in a very different way than God's word does. So the Bible has, in the Greek language, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament primarily, and the New Testament is primarily written in Greek. And the Greek language has four words for love, four primary words. They're words that reflect romantic love. Some of you are buying those roses in a couple weeks, I'm just... Guys, I'm reminding you, Valentine's around the corner. Just throwing that out there, trying to save some people. Okay, anyway, um, get those dinner reservations. So, so but there's, there's romantic love. There's, there's brotherly love or friendship love that we connect with people. We have affection for people. We like to hang around people. Uh, there, there's also, there's, there's a familial love that a parent has for their child and vice versa. But the one the Bible uses the most, especially in the New Testament, and it's actually a word that Jesus would highlight in his word agape. And I think it's the only love that can really cause a relationship to be all that God intends for it to be. And when we make a commitment to love somebody else, and of course that starts, I'm, I'm talking a lot about marriage, but this applies to every relationship. Because here's what the Christian life looks like. It looks like love lived out. And it looks like this word agape. Agape is unlike these other loves. See, a lot of these loves are, I love you when I like you. I love you when it's easy. I love how he makes me feel about me. I love you when you, all, when you pick the same restaurant. Any, any other couples have a hard time picking out food places? So it's, and it's, it's a conditional love, but agape is an unconditional love. It's a decision like the father that said, my son has turned his back. He's run to a far country. He's wasted everything. But the moment he came back, the father embraced him. That's what unconditional love looks like. And it's actually the love that God displays for us. It's a love that sees an object or a person and so values that person, so values that object that it's willing to lay down its own life for another. It's a, it's a love that's not based on a feeling. It's a love that's based on a decision to see. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this than he lays down his life for his friend. God didn't just say, I love you with a little candy heart. He went to a cross and he gave everything to purchase what was already his what was already created by him and created for him, but it turned its back on him. That was me. That was us, but that's what agape looks like. Number five, last point, last thing, is that we need to give God our relationships. We need to give God our relationships. All of our relationships are important. Some are most important, and they require an investment. But for me to invest in others, 
What I find that often I don't have the capacity to do, because I'll just be honest, sometimes I don't feel like loving like God wants me to love. Sometimes I don't feel like forgiving. Because, you know, love often looks like I'm going to forgive like the Father. Even when, so, so Jesus goes to the cross, you know what he says? Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. We say, God, I'll forgive them when they know what they've done. When they know and they understand how they've heard and they know what they've said and, and, and we have conditions attached and God forgave us when we didn't deserve it and he calls us to forgive. And we release. You know, forgiveness is so important because we don't realize when we hold on to unforgiveness towards somebody, we're still yoked to them. We're yoked to what they did. We're yoked to that pain. We're yoked to the hurt and God wants us free. So forgiveness isn't even about them. It's actually about you. It's about God setting you free. Forgiveness is important. When we give God our relationships, it means we invite Jesus to be at the center. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 18. I'm almost done. Jason, if you and the team want to get ready. Matthew 18. Jesus said, most surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. He's talking about the power of prayer. When you pray for something to be done, it's, been, it's what's being accomplished in heaven. Okay, verse 19. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Isn't that amazing? He says, Here, here's how important relationships are with me involved. Jesus said, if two of you can agree on anything, in prayer, he says, I'm going to do it. If two of you can agree, if two of you can gather, two or three of you just gather, I'm going to be present in the midst. That's amazing. He says, my promise will be there. My presence will be there when you relate to one another. What would happen if you invited Jesus into your relationships? Some relationships change as a result. I've never pushed anyone away. I've had some people get weird because I was following Jesus. <laughs> Didn't like the direction I was going and, and I had to decide who was gonna be Lord of my life. What people thought or what God wanted to do. Would Jesus be Lord of everything? There's been relationships that I tried to fix, tried to change on my own. And I'm just going to help somebody a little bit today. If you'll apply this, there's some relationships you will not change by nagging them into change. You will not change those relationships by throwing even a bunch of Bible verses at them. But what if you surrendered that relationship to Jesus? What if you prayed and said, God, what I've been trying to control and what I've been trying to manipulate, I'm going to instead lay on an altar and I'm going to set before you and I'm going to invite you to be God and do what only you can do. I learned a long time ago, I'm not somebody else's Holy Spirit. But when I invite him to do what only he can do, he changes hearts, he changes lives. And I've seen it. Listen, I've had things that I tried to fight for and argue about and fix on my own and because I'm a guy and I like to fix things. Do you know what happens if you pray? When you work, you work. But when you pray, God works. 
What if you invited Jesus into your relationships? Some relationships require that we ask him, God, are you in this? God, are you in this? And you know, I've had, I've had some relationships, I've had some situations where I've asked God about it. Is this somebody that I'm supposed to connect with in my life? And I'm just gonna be honest, I've had times God said no. And we can think, oh man, I'm, I'm missing out on this. Or, you know, I see people that spend years of their life in business with the wrong people because they didn't first listen to God. This is real stuff. And if you would just ask him first and allow him to speak into it first, it may change the relationships, it may change the dynamics, but what if the no today meant it kept you for a far better yes tomorrow? Prayer changes situations. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I wanna ask you today, is there something you're trying to change on your own? Is there someone you're trying to change on your own? I, I would venture to say, I'm not gonna say, hey, raise your hand if you've got somebody you wanna see changed in your life, because we probably all do. That's not a hard altar call. <laughs> I've got stuff, we all do. God starts with us. God starts with us. He begins to change us. And he gives us the ability to love sometimes difficult people. Because that's what love looks like. It looks like serving others. I think of Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. He's got his 12 disciples. And one of them is Judas, who will betray him. We know the end of the story. We read the gospels and it's like, oh, it's that Judas. And we think he looks like the guy who would tie you up and put you on the railroad tracks. Like he's got that little spindly mustache. And that's Judas. But when, when he would tell the disciples, hey, one of you is gonna betray me, they'd all fight about it. Well, it can't be me. I'm the one he loves. It can't be me. I'm Peter. I walked on water. It can't be. And they start arguing and fighting and competing because people do that. Even those that were closest to Jesus did that. But Jesus gets down and he, he, he grabs a towel and he grabs a bowl of water and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. He shows love by serving another. Jesus, the only one who's always worthy of being served, served us. And what's amazing about that story is Jesus didn't just serve Peter and John and James, he served Judas. He washed the feet of Judas. The very one who would stab him in the back moments later, the very one who would betray him, he's there with the disciples and he's serving them. And I'm just amazed by that because that's what unconditional love looks like. No strings attached. He loved us before we loved him back. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna be done in just a moment. I know we went longer today. But if you're in here and you've never received the love of God, maybe people have hurt you, people have left you. Sadly, that's a part of life. But the truth is that God never left you. God's love is always for you. But just like a relationship takes two, God has actually done for us everything that is needed and necessary for us to be fully free, fully forgiven, 
given a future and a hope. He's already done his part. He's already overcome every, every enemy and every foe and every obstacle to get to you. He loves you that much. But you've got to receive that love. You've got to receive him. The free gift of Jesus. And Jesus did not die on a cross for a religion. He didn't die on a cross to start an institution or a denomination. Jesus came for a relationship because you and I were separated because of sin, but Jesus came to bring us close to God. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never received the love that I'm talking about today, and you'd like to, I want to give you that opportunity right here, right here and right now. Maybe you've been a Christian, but other things have pulled your heart away from God. And today you say, you know what, what I need, like the prodigal, is to come home. The world left me empty. Sin left me empty. My shame left me empty. But I need the love of the Father again. I need the love of Jesus. I need to come back. If either of those are for you, I want to give you an opportunity right here and now. With no one looking around, you say, that's me, Brian. I need Jesus in my life. I need a relationship with God. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to respond, not to a message, but to God himself, because God is here for you. If you're in here, you say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Would you raise your hand? Say, that's me, Brian. I need a relationship with Jesus. Anybody else? Yeah. This is a new beginning for you. This is the most important relationship you'll ever have. Now I'm going to ask you to pray this with me right where you're at. And I'm asking every, every person in here, pray this with us to encourage them. Would you just pray this? Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be Lord of my life. I give my life to you. I surrender to you. And I receive your great love for me. I thank you that I am forgiven that I am free and I have a relationship with God from this day forward in Jesus name Amen Amen We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus To learn more about River City Church find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co